Welcome to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, a primitive Baptist ministry declaring the good news of the finished work of salvation by grace alone. This weekly radio program is brought to you by Elder Joe Nettles, pastor of Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church in Caledonia, Mississippi, and Elder David Wise, pastor of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We now invite you to stay tuned for our message this morning. Good morning, listening friends, and welcome to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast. I'm Elder Joe Nettles, pastor of Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church, located at 40283 Wolf Road in Caledonia, Mississippi. Also, my good friend, Elder David Wise, helps me with this program. He's such a wonderful help and a wonderful yoke partner in the ministry, and he is the faithful pastor of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, located at 11 Staten Road, that's S-T-A-T-E-N Road, near Ackerman, Mississippi. Both of our churches meet at 10.30 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would absolutely love for you to come and to visit us to see what it means to be a Primitive Baptist, see our simplicity of order, our love, our hospitality, our manner of fellowship. We want you to come and to join us. We also meet 6 p.m. every Wednesday evening at the La Quinta Inn Conference Room in Starkville, Mississippi, not far off of Mississippi State University campus. And we meet at 6 p.m. We have an abbreviated service consisting of song and prayer and a scriptural message. And then we typically break bread. Now, of the last few weeks, we have postponed that because of the rise in the COVID numbers. But uh, check with the Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church Facebook page, and you'll be able to see when we are meeting again in person. But if you can't meet with us in person, uh, and if maybe we're not have not resumed uh, personal meeting again yet, uh, we do live cast uh, message and worship at 10.30 a.m. every Sunday morning and 6 p.m. every Wednesday evening from that Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church Facebook page. Now, when you look that up, it's Sulphur with a P-H, S-U-L-P-H-U-R, Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church Facebook page. Hit like, activate the notifications, and it will let you know whenever we start our live worship. Go to the website, if you will, that services this broadcast, gospel-of-grace.com. That's Gospel of Grace with dashes in between. And there's church locators, frequently asked questions, links, and archived messages. We would implore you to uh, go and avail yourself of the resources on that website. And today we have a message for you uh, regarding the conscience in men. And before we uh, break for the hymn, I want to especially encourage you to be praying for Haiti and also pray for all of those been devastated by the flooding in Tennessee. Our hearts grieve for all those parties mentioned. So right after this hymn, we'll be back with today's message.
Thank you so much for staying tuned to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast. Again, I'm Elder Joe Nettles, and today we are dealing with uh, another in the series of messages regarding those things that are common to all of mankind, whether they be born again with spiritual knowledge or whether they not be, whether they're in their natural state in which they were born. Now, we've covered with you before from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, how the Lord hath set the world in the heart of men. We've also gone to Romans chapter 1. We've dealt with the eternal power of God that can be known of men, and also the Godhead or the divine nature of God that can be known by men. Today, we want to deal with the conscience. Let's deal today with the subject of the conscience. Now, what is a conscience, and does everyone have one? Well, First, let's define a conscience. And one of the best definitions I've been able to find on a conscience is from Thayer's definition. Uh, the Greek word sunodesis is from which the word conscience in the New Testament is translated. And Thayer defines it as the soul as distinguishing between what is morally good and bad, prompting to do the former, to shun the latter, commending one, condemning the other. So again, the conscience deals with what is moral, what is good and bad, or right and wrong. In the Bible, it's righteousness and sin. So does every man have a conscience? Well, we would say, yes, he does, because every man has a soul. When the Lord created Adam of the dust of the earth, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. So not only are we body, but we are also soul and spirit substance. Now that soul and spirit cannot be picked up on a CAT scan and it can't be weighed in a balance like the things of the body can, the material essence of who we are. But yet it is there all the same. The soul in man is like its creator. As God is eternal, we were created with an eternal unending soul. Our soul is made after the image of God and that it will not end. It will live on. It'll either live on in heaven after a while, or it will live on in the second death forevermore. But believe you me, it will live on. The soul of man is like God in that it is contemplative. That means it is able to think and dream and conceive and uh, appreciate beauty just for beauty's sake. The soul of man is rational. That means it is able to uh, deal with issues, uh, to think them through, to plan, to organize, to uh, implement things that are not just necessary for survival. Uh, cities are a result of the rational uh, por portion of the soul of man. And the soul of man is made after the image of God and that it is worshipful. We were created to worship. He is worthy of worship, and we were created to emulate him and that we redound unto the glory of God. However, we fell in Adam, and that has been marred. And in the new birth, the Lord has restored that ability in his children to worship him. And the soul of man is moral, and that's what we're dealing with today. It is like God in that it is moral. It is interested uh, in right and wrong, in matters of justice and judgment. So having said that, we want to deal with the passages of Scripture that deal with the conscience. Now, 
you may say, well, Brother Joe, I've done a word study, and the only place I see the actual term conscience is in the New Testament. And that's true. It's used many times in the New Testament. Again, translated from the Greek term uh, synodesis. But we still find the concept of the soul, of the conscience, uh, that portion of the soul that is dealing with moral issues. We find that in the scriptures, just not labeled as conscience. Okay. Uh, one of the first places we're going to go to look at this is in Psalms 25. And in Psalms 25, the Psalmist David, we're going to read verses 20 through 21. He declares, Oh, keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed for I put my trust in thee. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me for I wait on thee. There he is referring to the soul, but he's referring to that portion of the soul that is concerned with morality, uprightness, doing right versus doing wrong. He says, Lord, keep my soul, deliver me. Let me not be what? Ashamed for I put my trust in thee. That's the right thing to do. That's what David did. And then he says, let integrity and uprightness preserve me. In other words, let my soul not be so convicted over the things that have done wrong. Help me to do right that it may be mollified. We go to Psalm 23, one of the very best known Psalms in the word of God. And we're going to find written in verses three and four of Psalms 23. He restoreth my soul. And again, as Thayer defined, the conscience is the portion of the soul, that aspect of the soul dealing with moral issues. He restoreth my soul, but in what respect is this soul being restored? Now we thank God that he's restored our soul and eternal life, but that's not what under consideration so much in verses three and four of Psalms 23. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. So here he says, though I may walk in darkness, my heart will be mollified. It will be edified because I know thou art with me. And how is it that the Lord was with David, his rod and his staff? You know, the staff was had a crook on it that would restrain the sheep from going places that it ought not go and pull them back from places where they uh, transgressed. And the rod was used for discipline. It was used to make an impression on the sheep. Uh, the rod was used to chasten, uh, to teach them not to go here, not to go there, not to do that, go this way and not that way. So there he is referring to the aspect of the conscience in the soul. Now we go to another Psalm of David in Psalm 41, and we're going to read verses one through four. Blessed is he that considereth the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive, and he shall be blessed upon the earth. And thou wilt not deliver him into the will of his enemies. The Lord will strengthen him upon the bed of languishing. Thou wilt make all his bed in his sickness. I said, Lord, be merciful unto me, heal my soul, for I have sinned against thee. I don't want to be on the bed of languishing or the sick bed or the bed of dying one day and have a guilty conscience that is burdened down with my sin debt. No, I rejoice that Jesus has taken those sins and has uh, given forgiveness unto me 
because he took those sins upon himself. Him having no sin became, was made to be sin for me. But here he says, heal my soul. Now David was already born again and he was set for heaven, but his soul needed to be healed in the sense of the guilt of conscience for I have sinned against thee. The last Old Testament reference to the conscience as touching that aspect of the soul that deals with morality, we'll go to Lamentations chapter three. Now, Lamentations chapter three is the contemplation or the lamentation of Jeremiah as he looks over the destroyed city of Jerusalem after the Babylonian destruction. And he is using this chapter three as he looks upon the devastation over the city of Jerusalem. He is also using it as a figure of the devastation of man's soul when he's living under conviction of sin. Again, as touching the conscience. And we're going to read verses 17 through 20 of Lamentations chapter three. And thou hast removed my soul far off from peace. What's he talking about there? He's talking about his conscience. Thou hast removed my soul far off from peace. I forgot prosperity. And I said, my strength and my hope is perished from the Lord remembering mine affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall. My soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. Obviously, he was referring to a guilty laden conscience. Now, my friends, we see the conscience being alluded to both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Now, let's now look at the concept, uh, a couple of passages of scripture that refers to the evil or the unregenerate having a conscience. We go to Ephesians chapter four. Now in this passage of scripture, the word conscience is never used, but I think you'll be able to see that the concept is what's under consideration all the same. In Ephesians chapter four, we're gonna begin reading with verse 17. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the, notice this, understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Those aspects here under consideration in these Gentiles, are those characteristics under consideration are those that would move them to right away from the wrong. We continue in verse 19, who being past feeling, notice that, who being past feeling, there's no compunction. Uh, there's no uh, moving of their conscience anymore in the state in which they're in, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness, but ye have not so learned Christ. Now, what was just described in Ephesians, we see also real time in account in John chapter eight as pertaining to many Jews. And uh, we see in John chapter eight, you know, the context is that these Jews who were wicked in their intention and in their souls dragged forward this woman who had been taken in the act of adultery. And that was contrary to the law. But I also want you to understand that it was contrary to the law in the man's part as well. And he's nowhere to be seen. They only brought forth this woman. They had no desire truly for justice, but we're going to see that they had a concept of it all the same. And why? Because they had a conscience. Verse seven of John chapter eight. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Now these men were in the midst 
of a large group of people. They were under consideration. They were under, uh, I should say, uh, scrutiny as well as the scrutiny that they were trying to point toward Jesus Christ. There were witnesses here, and these witnesses know what the law demand. The law demand perfection, and these men were under the law. And I would venture a guess to say that these Jews that were gathered there that day knew what manner of men these were. And so these men really had no cover under which to hide to try to convince people that they were free of sin. So Jesus, Jesus Christ, our Lord, just simply says, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. Why did these men... Uh, move away? Why did they back off from their evil intentions? Why did their plan crumble? Because their conscience uh, revealed unto them that they were in a no-win situation. They were hypocrites. People knew that they were hypocrites. People knew that they were not free of sin. And here they were perfectly willing to stone this woman, but their intention really was to embarrass and to, uh, to discredit Jesus Christ. That was their whole aim and intention. So why did they move away? Well, their conscience was not moved because of any uh, principle of holiness within them or righteousness. I think their conscience was moved. They realized what they were doing was wrong before they didn't care. But now they were made to care. Why? Because uh, they were being witnessed. Uh, they were being embarrassed. Uh, they had people. They were concerned about their attitude toward them. Uh, their fame, their esteem. And this was being injured now by these faultless and perfect words of Jesus Christ in the midst of all these witnesses. Now that instance in John chapter eight begs the question now, to whom does the conscience answer? As I said before, I don't believe those wicked Jews, their conscience was you know, answering to any principle of righteousness or holiness within them, certainly not the spirit of God. To, to whom does it answer? because there's something we need to understand about the conscience of man. The conscience of man, it makes us aware of right and wrong, but the conscience does not make us care about right and wrong. Again, it makes us aware, but it doesn't make us care. See, in the wicked, their conscience will answer to many things, but none of them being the spirit of Almighty God. Their conscience may be afraid of embarrassment, their conscience, uh, knowing right and wrong, uh, you know, their actions then as a result may be moved because they want self-preservation. Maybe they don't want to disappoint someone and have to hear them complain and moan. Maybe they don't want to see the look of disappointment in their eyes. Uh, maybe they just want to get away with something. Maybe they just want to not be caught in something. See, there are multiple things, uh, reasons that can move upon uh, man, even though his conscience is able to tell him that it's wrong to murder. But what is behind that conscience compelling him not to murder? You see, in that conscience, he knows it's wrong to steal. But what is it behind the conscience that moves him to not steal uh, that money or that car or whatever the case may be? Uh, man knows it's wrong to bear false witness. But again, what is it that moves him away from doing that? Well, in the wicked, we see uh, an example of this in Titus chapter one. Notice what it says about the wicked's conscience. In Titus chapter one, we read verse 15 and 16. 
says, Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him. Why? Being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. That term reprobate is essentially a legal term. You know, the root of that word is probate. If you go to probate court, that court is concerned with looking at the validity of a contract or a, a law, a will and testament. It's looking to see, does it have substance and truth behind it? It's interested with truth. Are these the true heirs? Is this the true intent of what this person meant when they wrote this in their will and testament? And you see in the wicked, there's nothing right and pure and good behind them. Their conscience is defiled. Uh, it is abominable and unto every good work reprobate. You see, even a wicked man knows it's right to do something for someone else. Say he sees a, a young lady broken down on the side of the road with a flat tire. You know, he may stop and he may assist her, but he's not doing it because he desires to please God. Maybe he's doing it because he wants praise. Maybe he wants her to give him $5. You see, the wicked uh, can write a million dollar check to an orphanage, but are they doing that with the primary intent of keeping their conscience free and clear before Almighty God? Uh, no, they'll write that check, but they'll want to be on the front page of the paper. They'll write that check, but they'll want people to always introduce them as a great benefactor of such and such orphanage. You see, they're reprobate. There's no truth or substance behind it. You know, in um, Ecclesiastes, the last chapter of Ecclesiastes chapter 12, what were we told was the whole duty of man. The whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. So the wicked may keep a commandment, but see, the problem is they'll have an impure, rotten motive behind it. Self-aggrandizing, self-serving, or just totally selfish. Uh, you see, they cannot fear God. There is no fear of God before the eyes of unregenerated men, according to Romans chapter 3 and multiple other places, which we have pointed out to you in messages past. So my friends, uh, having dealt with the conscience today, I think we see that all men have a conscience. And hopefully in our next message, we will look at what is behind and moving the conscience of people that are born again of the Spirit of God. And I rejoice to know that it is the very essence and power of God himself behind righteous born again people, that Jesus himself is seated in the heart of these uh, men and women and children, uh, moving them, uh, giving them compunction, giving them approbation when it's, net, when it's right to move them to do those righteous and holy things, not only just to keep the commandments, but to fear God and keep his commandments, which is the whole duty of man, which will honestly and earnestly desire to serve and to please God. So we'll expound upon that in the next message. And until I'm able to meet with you here again in this wonderful media and be able to speak to you of such noble and sacred subjects, may the grace of the Lord specially bless you all.
If you enjoy the messages you hear on the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, we invite you to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. To find a Primitive Baptist Church near you, to listen to past messages online, and to find further contact information, you can visit our website at gospel-of-grace.com. You can also find our program on iTunes under podcast entitled The Gospel of Grace, a Primitive Radio Broadcast. If you listen and enjoy our program, we would love to hear from you. You may contact us by email at gospelofgracepb at gmail.com. This program is produced by Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church, 40283 Wolf Road, Caledonia, Mississippi, and Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, 11 Staten Road, on Highway 15, just north of Ackerman, Mississippi. We would love for you to come and worship with us each Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We invite you to tune in again next week for another message from the Gospel of Grace. Until next time, we pray God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus our Lord. Wonderful the matchless grace of Jesus, deeper than the mighty rolling